0: Welcome to Big Fish Little Place, a podcast by The Connection Table. I'm your host, Julia Spicer, a serial entrepreneur thriving in a town of less than 10,000 people. In each episode, we share stories of those doing great things from small locations. Because it doesn't matter where you are across Australia, big ideas, personalities and impact can be found in the smallest and most remote parts of the country. I acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which I record this podcast, the Bigambul people, and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. In this episode, I speak to Fraser Nye from Massig Island in the Torres Strait. Fraser shares why he started his strait experiences ecotourism business with his business partner John. What happens in remote communities when the entire economic footprint is driven by public sector jobs? and how he went from a Work for the Dole program to meeting a Prime Minister in four and a half short years. Enjoy all that is the fabulous Fraser Nye. I keep forgetting about the countdown, Fraser, but I am very excited to be having this conversation with you, my friend. I'm Um, so excited. People might not know this, but you and I could talk for about four and a half days non-stop. We will not. This won't be the longest podcast interview ever. Uh, but I'm really excited to get into this. My guest today is my friend Fraser Nye, who uh, is from Massig Island in the, the Torres Strait, and I'm really excited for Fraser to introduce himself and tell us a bit about himself and for the conversations that we're going to have that comes out of today. So Fraser, can I throw to you? Hello, thanks for joining me today.
1: Julia, great to see you darling, and I'm so stoked for you doing this, you know, what you're doing with the podcast stuff that you're working on this project. I think it's such a awesome thing to do and to get your voice out there and to capture other voices and just to drive and change the world and provoke the world to see it differently and, and serve it better. And I'm so stoked that I can be, this is actually my first podcast. I'm on, I'm pretty stoked myself. You know, it's something that I want to do personally and I'm just stoked to be on yours, Julia. And I'm so appreciative of it. I'm, you know, for inviting me to be on it. And I was kind of so yearning to, you know, for this time to come. Look, for all those of you, my name's Fraser and I. I'm from up Masig Island. That's York Island in English in the Torres Strait. It's in the Kulkalgal Nation. It's such an amazing place. It's a coral cave. Beautiful, beautiful place. Beautiful people. Beautiful culture. And it's it's calling all you guys to come and check it out. Please. You and
0: I, I was lucky enough to visit your island only a couple of weeks ago. And... um and know that I will be returning again next year with my husband. We're coming for a week of fishing and hanging out with everybody. I can't believe this is your first podcast, Fraser. You're going to be inundated with requests to join podcasts after this. I'm sure you have such an amazing story. Can you share with everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do, the businesses that you're involved with, but also the community and industry work that you have been doing throughout your life?
1: Yeah, look, I'm a, who I am. Like, I'm an island boy from Masigai. I'm just a, I'm just a boy from Masigai Island, you know, and I'm really proud of my heritage and who I am as a person and what's that molded me into. Look, uh, me and a mate, I was a, just a bit of context, didn't finish school, year 11, went home, worked at a local, it's a community of about 200, uh, 300, 250 to 300 people. It fluctuates, you know, went home, worked at a local, little, little retail shop back there for down south. It'll be like the corner store down south and I just worked there and you know, two thousand I went down Sunny Coast. It was the first time like in that world it was such an eye opener. Didn't know how to use a lift, didn't know how to use a you know a fuel pump, but a fuel bowser, did not have a clue how to do those stuff. Just recent as twenty just over twenty years ago. I had no clue about those things. And you know, must I say the challenges, those those are mundane things. And things that were challenges to most people down south were a massive challenge for me because it was just such a all new world with all new challenges. And, you know, and I loved it. It was in the sunny coast I went to and did tiling for six years, came back, did part-time fishing. And yes, there's no work, hardly, on the, hardly any work on the island outside of part-time fishing. I mean, there's there's government work, teaching, and that they're all kind of capped. So it was just doing that and just hanged around with my cousins. And in 2012, I was blessed enough to get a role in local government as the councillor. Come election time, I put my hands up. Because leadership was something I was always passionate about. It was something that I was grounded in. I had a lot of people who were influenced in my life, influenced my life, and there were strong leaders from my parents to my uncles and aunties. So I kind of was in that, I grew up in that space. And, you know, because that was such a strong fundamental, a strong foundation that was on me. And, you know, I guess when I went into the council thing, it was a natural thing to step into. Yeah, it was a chug. I was just agreeing on going into that space but look, it taught me one thing, because I care deeply about human beings. That was my, that's my biggest driver that I needed to learn on the go, because I was making decisions at every council meeting that was going to affect the lives of people. And that's a very personal thing. That's something that, you know, I hold very precious to me, knowing that, you know, there are other people who can't sit around the table, that I was there to make a call on their behalf. And I best be making the right call to serve them and give them justice into the future. Because some of these decisions, you know, they stuck for a long time and it was important that, you know, I get it right. So that was my journey to on the road to learning. And ever since that day, 2012, just over, I'd say, 11 years ago, I'm just I've been such a big sponge to just I love. I'm like a big kid that is just so super, super curious about all sorts of stuff because I want to solve problems to serve human beings.
0: Before we go on to some of the other stuff that you've done, Fraser, 2012, you were pretty young then. Well, we're yes. both pretty young still, Jeez. both big kids for sure, but you were pretty young going into local government at, in 2012. How did you find that with maybe older people around the table, elders that you, who you knew and respected? How did you go with that age difference? Or was there an age difference? Were there other younger councillors with you?
1: Look, there were there were older there were people who were elders as well in communities, and in that that went in that were counselors as well. So you still had that cultural kind of hierarchical system within there, and it was just having that nice nuance of balance that knowing that you know they're they're elders, but you know, and we're ones coming in, and, and fair enough. Some of these some of these people were like experienced counselors; they've done it for decades. You know, they've been around, and we were just greenhorns coming in with no track record or so. So you can understand that, you know, they we were kind of just coming in, learning the ropes, and there was that kind of natural, I guess, tendency from them to make sure that, you know, they were the ones kind of leading on us. But, you know, coming in also as someone who was young and passionate, you know, you also have a drive to, like, I've got actually something to say as well, you know, because I've been represent- I'm representing a group of people on equal power, just like you are representing a constituency base in your division so there was that nice you know understanding that nice dance between respect being respectful of cultural hierarchical system and eldership and also the roles of councillors as as equal par you know in a democratic process nominated you know by our uh, our divisions that we were representing and it was just understanding that respectful place and yeah
0: yeah, I think that that comment around it's a dance is is a really um, beautiful phrase for us to use because, you know, outside of First Nations communities, you know, that's also the case. We've, we have this cultural respect, our elders, but at the same time, we've got a voice and we need to be thinking about new things and how do we bring this to the table and hold on to hold on to that level of respect that we have for our traditions and our elders and at the same time, make sure that we're also progressing. I think you know that thinking about it as a dance is a is a really lovely way to do it because that's that's the challenge, right? That's the that's the leadership piece, right there. Is how do you kind of balance both and do both well?
1: And, and you're right. Uh, look, uh, look. I think Julia, you need that. You need to have wisdom to do that. I think that's a part of you know you know it's about understanding like what what actions, what are the consequences of that. So it's almost you're dancing and playing and understand like, what's the right balance to still get what you want, you know, and knowing that you're compromising a bit, you're, you know, but you're also gaining in the process because you're building skin in the game with the people you're working with. And I think I've, I've, you know, in a, I guess in, in the Western world, I've seen that or in any part, but I've seen this, this kind of conversation happening in recent in the last decade where they were talking about students coming out of university wanting to get the same pay limit as people who were experienced. You know, and there's, I've I, I read in the Courier Mail where that conversation was on, where there was lack of experience but people coming out, wanting to be on equal path. And it's that dance again, like it's about having that trials and experience that, you know, money can't pay. But also, in the same token, understanding, you know, even if you have experience, you should use that also to understand that there are certain... Technologies that are coming now, or things that the people who are coming in have not much life experience, very experienced in those things, more than us. And how do you make that balance? And I think that's that balance again, and a new one hundred
0: percent, a hundred percent. We talk lots of times about, I end up in lots of conversations around mentoring and about how young people can be mentors as well for exactly that reason. They're a digital native, right? They've grown up with it. They know it. So, so they can actually be mentoring people who might be older than them in a technical skill that they actually have greater understanding and, and experience in. And I think this assumption that mentors have got to be, you know, have gray hair and be old, wise owls teaching all of these young people is a bit of a story you know it's a bit of a fairy tale that we've told ourselves around that I really love it talk to me about some of so you you were on council um I know you're not on council anymore but I know you're involved with lots of other things. what was the next stage after after you finished up with council fill people in on what you um what you started next
1: if there was a couple of things I was on just just a bit of context I was doing the council then I got into uh, uh, Torres and Cape Hospital Nell Service Board. I got on the board, you know, in, and I was on there for five years. That was that's from Cooktown. For those who don't know, Cooktown all the way up to Torres Strait to the border of Australian P and G. So there's four hospitals and there's about twenty twenty six thousand constituency within that within that remit. I was on that board then. I'd say like four years after I got into council. Then on the fifty, I got older, I mean, on the Prime Minister's Indigenous Advisory Council as well. So I think if I want to share this, it's not to impress people because I don't think I'm impressive. It's to impress upon people the fact that because I was also daring and willing to learn and hungry to learn because I wanted to solve problems, it opened so many doors. In such a short time, I'm thinking, I was sitting and talking to Prime Ministers, I was on hospital and health service board, I'm thinking, here's a guy that if people only knew four years ago, I had no idea about the things these sectors and these things like and that's a true story. And I share that. I think it's an important truth about if you're hungry and you want to pursue and you take risks and you go down a path, your path can really escalate really quickly. You can be at the second floor one day and on the next day you can be on the 26th floor by just being in the game. Cause I think it's all about relevance and do you have what it takes to solve for tomorrow? understanding that at the forefront is do you have in the world we're living in today do you have what it takes to solve for tomorrow to be relevant to hold your seat wherever that may be and, and that requires a tenacity to learn and hunger to be curious to always asking and pushing the boundaries and never settle for where you are and being comfortable and i think that took me from there in such a short time and I was on a working for the door, part-time fishing and working for the door. And four and a half years later, I was an advisor to the prime minister. And I'm sitting around like professors, CEOs, doctors. And there's this dude that's not so long ago was there. And I did not think people know that. People didn't know that about me. They just thought I was someone who had been doing this for decades before that built myself up into that. And I wasn't.
0: You talk about the solving problems. What's the problem you want to solve? What's your what's your personal drive?
1: And I think we see it a lot in remote and rural places as well, the lack of opportunities. And I think and that, that over time, over decades, we're seeing, I mean, I know we're seeing a lot of younger people moving to more urban areas, more centralised in big cities and that where all the investment, talent and resources are and it's attracting young people there. Look, for me, uh, and we see the same problem. I, mean, I think it's an understanding we all have in remote and rural areas all over. And our challenge is always about creating opportunities to make it attractive for the generation now to stay and be relevant and do the same things that their cohorts are doing, their peers are doing, or their generation, but in their place, in their country, in their regions and, and their towns. You know? And I think because of technology, we can do that. And that's something that I'm super, super passionate about is to create opportunities through, through an economic pathway for, you know, people up in the Toronto, there's something that dear, means so much to me. Julia, it's about like, to me, and I say to people, it's life and death, because I've seen the other side of it. I have seen the other side of all of this stuff. I've seen like, from the camp where all of these things play out and through, you know, policies that are good intention, but are really poorly executed and not contextual. And all sorts of things along the way, you know, structural stuff, you know, you're seeing like good intentions, but poor outcome because it's not done properly. And it, it creates something in you, a desperation to do something yourself. I love that. And I think that situation is is a part of my becoming as well. It's a, That's how life kind of panned out and played the cards. And I uh, ideally love solving problems to help you in. It just so happened at this point in time, you know, in the genesis of what I'm doing now through straight experience to me and my good brother and business partner, John Palmer, you know, we're looking, where we've got an e-commerce platform, destination management company, which, you know, Julia and, uh, you know, travel agency, which is an e-commerce platform that can help people launch their island dreams from as a platform. And that is something so dearly, so dearly, dearly, it's do or die. I'll put it that way. It's not, it's not something that you do, it's a project that didn't work or something and you start something else like that, obviously if it doesn't work, I'll start something else but the engine room behind that is, I know everyone we're trying to help, I know those people first and I know their challenges and the struggle and like when I talked down at our destination uh, what was it, our Resilience Q Julian in Brisbane a few weeks ago and I said that we're not your normal travel agency where we're just booking you into something where we don't know that person's life is going to serve you there. I know those people. I know what we're trying to do to them. I know we're trying to lift them up from poverty and give them hope through contribution through them sharing an experience with you know with with customers and tourists all over that's what that's what's on the line for me
0: oh fraser and i mean i've ex- I've experienced the Taurus experience as you know, and I think what you and John are doing um and and we'll make sure that people can follow your social media. So, uh, Torres Strait experience. We got to experience firsthand what it meant for the families who prepared our dinner, this beautiful seafood dinner that we had down on on the beach at the island. And we got to see what it meant for the people who were boating us from island to island. And we got to experience the kids and catch up with them once we had been to the school and had some conversations with the community. So, I I think you know as you say um you are living and you're you are impacted personally as a result of the success that you will have in your business and I just um I just I think it's I think you're just such a great example of how passion and execution which is what you're able to do really well can happen in rural and remote areas because you do know people you are you are directly impacted positively or negatively as a result of the decisions and I, and I take your point you know we always assume positive intent we assume that decisions are being made with the best intent but but this execution and delivery piece can't happen if they don't know what they're dealing with and they don't know the community that they're actually working with and i and i love i love the way in which you speak about it um talk to me about some of the opportunities that you see in across um across your part of the world what are you what are you excited about in the, into the future
1: oh look i think just just a bit of framing and context for people, those who don't know much about the Torres Strait you know, and, and look, Torres Strait, the, the economy, the economic footprint largely is public servant. It is public servant from Queensland to, you know, on, on a lot of the there's three shires up in the nor- Northern Peninsula area, which is the tip of Cape York. And there's five communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities there on the tip of Cape York. And that's one shire. Then you've got Torres Shire, which is in Red country. And then you have the Torres Strait Island Regional Council. Which is the outer islands, and it sits between the mainland and right to the border of PNG. They're the furthest island from mainland Australia, or closest to PNG is about five k's away from mainland PNG, and you can see villages on the other side. That's where that shire sits. So just a bit of context about that, and so a bit of the economic footprint of all of those. That shire is mainly Queensland Ed, Queensland L, QPS, Ergon Energy. You've got a local shop, which is, you know, sits under the government at the en- end of the day. And then you've got the Commonwealth Department in biosecurity. There's some ranges, you know, in the Toshad Regional Authority. That's pretty, what I've just explained is kind of the remit, the economic footprint on all 15 of those islands. And there's some outside of that, you know, that private business, small business. And if you're blessed enough to have certain industry happening in your place, then you've got an extra few extra businesses happening, extra that creates extra jobs. But out of that, we also have the fishing sector in Torres Strait. Like, uh, one of our largest, you know, I guess, private, primary industries is the fisheries that we have in our waters. And that's been one of the things that's been a lot of bread and butter for those who don't work in those sectors that I've mentioned before. Look, and outside of that, our next lowest hanging fruit, the largest is, you know, cultural, sustainable cultural and ecotourism. It is the thing that we haven't really tapped into. And I think done in the right way in a controlled, sustainable manner by working together with communities, elders, leaders, constituencies within communities, you know is the next thing that we can be doing, and that's what we're working on in creating opportunities you know to to the world I mean that's a market that is growing, and it's about finding the right market and low impact end IM tourism that creates that is that sustainably grows in a way that you know, sits under the right threshold where we, don't, where we don't get the, I guess, undesired impact that we don't want. And that's where we're working in right now at this point. Julia, I think it's a, it's an amazing opportunity. It's not just about experiences where people are coming in to learn from us. It's about us sharing as well and us retaining. It's like, you know, there's a saying that says, you know, practice makes perfect, but practice also makes perfect. All of us are facing the same challenges. Our kids, just as kids everywhere, parents with technology, with the the competing interests that we see through phones and stuff that are capturing the minds and arts of our kids all over Australia, all over the world for that say, I've watched parents talk about this all over. You know, it is important that we have the same challenges as well. How do we instill something that is so important to us, that our values and culture in those kids, that's an intentional thing that we have to do. And through cultural tourism, cultural experiences, people are not just sharing, they're retaining. It's making it permanent. It's a way to keep it, but at the same time making a living and being inspired and building strong, resilient communities.
0: Oh, I love it, Fraser. How did you find COVID? Did COVID bring more people up to the Taurus Strait? Did it bring people up to the region more if they couldn't go overseas? Or... Not so much. Did you notice any changes during the pandemic?
1: Look, I think as soon as COVID, you're talking about after COVID, uh, post COVID. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of people. I mean, I guess a lot of Aussies just travelled around Australia, didn't go domestically. You know, I mean, they just travelled domestically. And what we do have in in the tourists, you know, a lot of people. They straight after COVID, there's just been influx of people coming up. And I think, you know, I think we are this year with all the interest rates and the cost of everything else, cost of living and with the war going on in Ukraine and everything else is happening around the world, the volatility that we're seeing, you are seeing a lot of people kind of, they're still traveling and everyone that I've spoken to is saying that they're, they're, it's about 30% less in their spending. Yeah, interesting, okay. times, interesting times going forward because I don't think we're out of the woods yet.
0: It's such a great opportunity. So honestly, people listening, if you want to see one of the most beautiful parts of the world, you need to... Um, you need to head up to the Taurus and particularly you need to get yourself to Massig Island. And once you're there, uh, Fraser and uh, and the crew will uh, will certainly show you the some of the most beautiful parts of the world. Fraser, talk to me about you know you're really clear on your why. You're clear on what you're what you want to be achieving. If you weren't doing it through this ecotourism. Um, model or if you weren't doing it this way how else would you be doing it if you weren't doing this what would you be doing
1: look i'd be doing something still i I think there's a couple other things i'm I'm working on at the same time and this is i must say this one thing this is a discovery for me as well i'm kind of on this learning journey like i said like when i started 10 years ago in in local government and i've seen what's happened to me in local government because of one fundamental reason my my hunger to my tenacity to want to learn to solve, to want to learn to solve. And, and it's this ongoing thing and building network, building that, keep going, keep going, and seeing the world differently. I think that's the one thing. You will always find something that needs, the world needs to be done for them. And, and in this case, it is the tourism space at the moment. You know, and if, there, if it wasn't this, it'd be something else. I know it'd be, there's a couple of other things that I'm looking at working on, like water, around connectivity. These are the things I think that are pertinent to this part of the world and rural and remote areas, but I know the other side of that is the scalability of these things as well. They're not, I think, to an advantage, what we, I mean, from a deficit point, you know, we are isolated in remote and rural areas, but from an advantage point, we also have an opportunity to trial different things and pilot different things that can be scalable in other areas. I think that's an advantage that we often don't look at, and that's something I'm really, 100%. really clear. About. And yeah, Julia, that's something I'm really clear about is like like I said, I, I I love solving problems. I want to solve problems to serve the world. And I think because of technology, it's allowed us to think differently. We're always trying to play and see where the curve's going and stay out of the curve and where the puck's going and rather than just playing where the puck is, that we're also whilst we're playing where the puck is, we're also building for where it's going as well.
0: The reality is, you know, um, you know, there, there's there's work around the fact that, you know, we have these, we have this purpose or this vision for our life that we're clear on. And along the way, we find the assignment that can help us progress that. And so it's, you know, it was local council, and now it's tourism, and it might be something else. But the whole way along, your your point on the horizon that you're working towards is around economic empowerment and ensuring that you've got really viable communities across all of the islands up in that part of the world and I think you know you and I are kindred spirits as we've talked about um, since we met a, a, a year or more ago around the fact that you know we both are really clear on what it is that we want to be achieving and and we use different roles we've got or we use different projects that we can be part of but they all are leading us towards this one point on the horizon that's really important to us and I think that's the thing that I think is really important for people to understand is, you know, it, it can be multiple ways in which you can be still working towards the thing that you want to be part of, regardless of it's one job or one business or one activity that you're doing. That that can change uh, as long as what you're continually working towards is, is still this piece that's important to you. And yeah, I really love the way that you know you use curiosity and your love of learning to kind of propel you forward all of the time. I think I think that's a really exciting and important way to kind of talk about it.
1: I'm Just going to bring you back to something else. Back in two thousand and twelve, the word association with board of directors for me in two thousand and twelve, and it's about this learning journey. Was this is the word association This is the only thing I knew associated with the word board was outboard because we've got a lot of tinnies in the straits, a cardboard, <laughs> backboard off a basketball court, a blackboard, because I grew up in the 80s. We had blackboard with chalks in the school and I'm bored. That's that's the word is so I never knew there was such a thing called board of directors. What's that thing? And you know in, in the last ten years, like I I've changed. I say things that I've never said. I use words that I've never used before. I speak differently. I see I'm always self-reflecting and I'm like, wow, like this is how humans kind of develop. I'm always looking at myself and I'm crazy. I take the piss out of myself as well. And, but to <laughs> see that this, this evolution that inside of everyone listening right now, there is someone there that you haven't seen yet. There is someone that sits inside of you that you haven't seen. And the world's waiting for that to come out. But it takes us to turn the taps on, to start walking out, doing something. That takes out, takes us out of our comfort zone, puts us in an uncomfortable place. Because there's a there's a really great saying I used to use where it says, you know, your comfort your comfort zone is a beautiful place, but we're all but always remember nothing great ever grows there.
0: Amen, brother. Fraser, I'm I'm conscious of time, and but I want to get, you know, if you were all powerful, you are powerful. I know that. But if you were all powerful and could change anything, um, or or you know, do anything for a day. What would you do? What would you do or change if you could? So, Fraser, one of my questions for you is: if you were all powerful and could change anything for a day, what would you do? What would you do or change if you could?
1: You know, Julia, I've thought about that question. You know, there's each a what if that we can say, and I know that the reality is, I, I can. There's nothing that I can do that I can change if I, you know, if I have the power. I just gotta. I just got to go and do it and walk it out. I I get that part about it, but if there's one thing that I wish for one day, I could bring back my mom and dad, my uncle and aunties who passed away before their time, my cousins, my grandparents, and just so they can see, you know, see what i what I'm what I'm becoming now, and just to honor them and to thank them. That is one thing, because I I what. Other things that drive me, uh, that have such a strong meaning to me, Julia, is the sense of honor to the people that have shaped my life, that have instilled the values in me, and created a place of safety and love that I grew up in. That is a big part of my life, and it's my life is just an extension of the values that they've instilled in me, and the safety they've created, and the love that I've gotten growing up, and I wish they can see it. Because I was a bit of a strong head when I was, you know, in my teenage years. A bit of a strong willed kid. And and that's something I would dearly love if I could have one day is just to have dinner with them. All my grandparents, my uncles and aunties, my cousins and pastors so should be still should still be around. They're way way young. And my mom and dad. And just to, to tell them this is what I've been doing. And just to make them proud.
0: Oh, Fraser. That is so yeah, that- beautiful.
1: Julia, that is something that not many people know that will live with me. And if I'm granted a long life to a very old age, I will still have the same feeling to that day because I'll still be their kid. I'll still understand that about who I am is an extension of all of those people that have instilled in me those values. And most of the, it is most of those values. That have opened doors for me than anything else. It is about treating people with respect and always trying to help other people. That have opened most of the doors you see in my life, and I owe it to—I owe it to them.
0: Oh, it's so beautiful, Fraser. Thank you for sharing that. As we um, as we wrap up, is there? It's a beautiful place to to finish. But I want to I want to make sure if there's anything else you want to share with people who are listening. Is there anything else that you might want the audience to know? Talk about where they can find you uh, and what they need to do when they're organising their next holiday to come and visit you.
1: Look, check us out on Straight Experience. Go look at Straight Experience on the website. It is an amazing platform. We're here to serve and we want to, you know, our voice, the voice of Straight Experience is one of an invitation and John and I are two brothers. John's a white Australian. I'm a Torres Strait Islander Australian and this is our voice and we just... We're just two humans coming together, two Aussie boys, and with our diverse gifts and talents and passion and to create something to serve humanity. And that's all we want to do is to serve humanity. And in this neck of the woods for starts, and I must say, watch this space because I know we're going to do something. If I've got this kind of funny, if I say this, I want to say this, I want to say this out if I can, Julia, that I want to build. I have this crazy ambitious idea in me that is not based on fallacy or wishy-washy, but based on what I've seen of the world and what others have done, is to build a unicorn business from rural Australia, remote rural Australia. I believe that's totally possible now because of the tools that's been given to us.
0: Fraser, I do not doubt that one bit. If anybody's going to do it, it will be you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Please, people listening, um, track Fraser down on socials and follow the work that he and John are doing with Straight Experience. I have experienced it and I will be going back. Thanks so much for joining us today and we wish you well with all of the work that you do across your community.
1: Julia, thank you so much. And Can I say something about Julia Spicer, this lady here? She's a country girl. And you know she's the chief entrepreneur, the ambassador for entrepreneurship in Queensland. And I must say, like I meet a lot of people, see a lot of people, and I think she's a gem. And I think it comes from values of small towns and communities that are centered around people and, and a sense of community. And I really, I take my hat off for how you do stuff, Julia, and your role, in how you're serving Queenslanders all over. I think. I think we're blessed to have you in that position, Dol. And I mean that sincerely.
0: Thank you, Fraser. I didn't even pay you to say that. So thank you no, no, so no, much that, for that, those that, kind that, words.
1: That's not paying, Dol. That's coming from a genuine spot. I think you, it warrants that. I need to put that in there.
0: I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. And uh, we might need to get you back on another, uh, on another episode so we can get an update of how things are going.
1: No, looking forward to it, Dol. And I, Julia, all the best. Big fish in a little pond, man. That's what it is.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, using one of the phrases I learned up uh, when I was up with you small one.
1: Yeah, and then see you soon. See you later. Thank you, darling. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of Big Fish Little Place, a podcast by the Connection Table. We hope by sharing this story today that you feel inspired to go big from your small place or support those doing so. To find out more about The Connection Table's mission to get more rural Australians a seat at the decision-making table, head to our website www.theconnectiontable.com.